And now a message from Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth. I'm speaking to you now during a very difficult period, as it's usually at about this time of the day that I'm drinking gin and smoking a woodbine in the garden here at the palace. Instead, I have to make this address to you. My role as mother of this nation is to reassure you in times of crisis, and that is not an easy task, because early indications are that the 2020 Formula One season won't start for months, and that those of you watching eSports as a way of filling the void left by the lack of any real racing, will know it truly is a poor substitute. I am, however, greatly encouraged by the ingenuity of the British people during this period of lockdown. There are people who have taken to marble racing for their entertainment. There are those who are watching old Grand Prix on YouTube. And I, myself, found great solace in driving my Range Rover County around one of my many living rooms. The important thing to remember is that at some point this will be over and then we can all return to the utterly pointless exercise of wondering which F1 team is going to come second to Mercedes yet again. This viral outbreak has caused financial difficulties for many, grief for some, and a great change in the way we all conduct our lives. But it is important to remember that it has also caused great discomfort for President Trump. So every cloud has a silver lining. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, and as usual, I'm in my living room. And joining me virtually from not far away elsewhere in North London via the gift of electronic communication, Ted Kravitz. Hey, Ted, how are you? Hello. All right. Yes, I'm also in my living room. Why do people always do these things in their living rooms? Tell you what, maybe it's because soft furnishings make for good noise conditions. Perfect audio. Could do it in my downstairs toilet, but it would be a bit echoey. Yeah. Television, I think, has been completely revolutionised by this outbreak because just about every interview you see on TV these days is done via Skype or Zoom or whatever people are using. And I get the feeling that when all this is over... It's just going to carry on like that. No one's ever going to bother going into a TV studio anymore. Well, and funnily enough, the quality seems to be better than when there wasn't this lockdown. The opposite you would have thought would have been true with many more people using all of this bandwidth that actually the quality would have gone down. But have they actually increased the bandwidth of all the internet providers? said, all right, you can have all the stuff we were holding in reserve. I think Virgin have. Anyway, I'm on Virgin here. Other internet service providers are available. And they've made more bandwidth available. Plus, 
the likes of YouTube and Netflix, as I understand it, have reduced the amount of data that they're using. What they've done is they've reduced the quality of the signal that they're streaming, which may actually benefit us. You know, what they're not using, we can eat up. Yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, Netflix used to, well, they do, and Amazon, they're on 4K. And if you just knock 4K down to HD, a lot of people won't notice the difference. And interesting yeah. technological time. Hey, how, how are you? I'm fine. Yeah, not bad. What have you been doing with your time since Australia? Nothing really. I mean, we were told after we all got back from Melbourne that because we'd been in the paddock and it was obviously a sort of virus hotspot, given that there are a couple of people from Formula One who were confirmed with the virus, that we should probably just not go out and see if we developed any symptoms for a couple of weeks. So we all kind of did that. And I popped out for food and did the stuff that you need to do. And then I've sort of stayed there. So I've kind of been at home since I got back on March the 15th. And you are fit and well. You've not had any signs of anything? Yep, I'm well. I'm not sure if I'm fit, particularly, because I'm not walking around and exercising as I did actually in the early stages. I don't know about you. I lost weight early on when I kind of was so sort of shocked and depressed about the whole thing. I wasn't eating very much. And now I've kind of got used to it. And mealtimes are, you know, bigger things. And I'm eating more now and exercising less, even though I've been doing Joe Wicks. Have you been doing Joe Wicks? I haven't. No, I've been doing some oh. gardening and a little cycling. Okay. But yeah, right. you're right. Meals have become the focal point <laughs> of what's have, yeah. going on. And I, yeah, yeah, I'm starting so, to put on a bit of weight, I'm afraid. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Good old Joe Wicks, though. Half an hour. <laughs> I, could do, I could do two in a row. I sort of get to the end and half an hour. But the kids like doing it. Well, sometimes. That's a good that you're doing it with the kids. Me and my kids were exercising separately. They go off on their bikes and do their own thing. I assume they're exercising. Who knows what they could be doing? <laughs> Raving. Listen, let me talk to you about Australia. We talked a little bit about this on the last episode of the show, but you were there as it played out. And from a yeah. punter's point of view, I don't think it was handled particularly well in that it was a very late decision. Well, certainly from the punters who were queuing up outside the gate on Friday morning, waiting for the gates to open and then slightly smelling a rat when they didn't open. And we were going past them, knowing that there wasn't going to be any running that day. And we were going in effectively to get our stuff from the production office, knowing that there wasn't going to be any practice, there wasn't going to be any qualifying the day after, and there wasn't going to be any race two days after that. And we couldn't really breeze past them and say, might want to go home or don't think this is going to happen. I mean, you know, partly because we didn't want to tell them that way. It wasn't our responsibility, I guess. But also because there were so many people saying so many different things, it could have changed. But I mean, if we go back to, yeah, we all arrived there so Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday was a normal day. We went and did some prep and stuff like that. And Thursday morning, we started to get some suggestions that things were going to be different. So a lot of the teams were cancelling their media sessions on Thursday, and those who weren't were mandating that all the journalists stand two metres away from all the drivers. Yeah, It was the first social distancing that any of us had encountered. And we all thought, this is really weird, because are they doing this with everybody? Or do they just think that the journalists are carriers, or the most likely carriers? So you had George Russell standing there answering questions, and then there was like a meter. And then the PR people had put a little cordon, you know, those tensor barriers up, yeah, yeah. about a meter and a half away. And everyone was leaning over these with an outstretched arm, asking their questions. And I did the press conference 
interviews after the FIA session. So I did Lewis, Vettel, Ricardo, and Latifi. And with each driver, we were told to change the mic windshield, the muffler. Yeah, yeah. The foam. The spit catcher, as we call it in rock and roll. The spit catcher. Exactly. Because if this was the thing that was going to be closest to, you know, Hamilton, Lewis or Sebastian or whatever's mouth, then that needed to be brand new for every interview. So there were these things that were happening on Thursday that we start to realise, okay, this is pretty serious. And all credit to the teams. They were all clued up on it long before the rest of us were. So, you know, I did the interviews with a full outstretched arm. You know, my arm's about, what, three quarters of a metre, maybe? Yeah. A metre's meant to be sort of both arms outstretched, isn't it? Yeah. So I was like asking a question and then leaning over. Never before have I wanted a boom mic so much. And did that change the nature of the conversation that you have with someone? If you're not that close to them, because it's quite an intimate thing, an interview, isn't it? You're in a sort of relationship when you're performing an interview and to do it from a distance that must be weird for you it was a bit but not as weird as choosing whether to ask them about the virus so we were coming out of the fia press conference where lewis hamilton i don't know if you remember had pretty much just gone off on one about yep. how we shouldn't have been there how he's very surprised he came out with the cash is king line about why he thought we were progressing with the season that was kind of picked up by everybody and refuted by Chase Carey on Friday saying, well, if cash was king, we would have ignored the health risks and just carried on with the race weekend, which I suppose is fair enough. So, yeah, it was up to us whether we ask. We didn't really need to ask Lewis again. I think he knew that he maybe said a bit too much. So we sort of, well, I danced around it a little bit. I said to him and Seb, look, it's an uncertain season We don't know how many races there are going to be. Up to that point, China was the only one to have been officially postponed. Vietnam was questionable, but it was still on. Bahrain was still on. You know, is it going to be important to score good points this weekend, given that, you know, who knows how many races we're going to have type thing. Mm -hmm. So that was as close to it as I got. I kind of regret that a bit now. Maybe I should have gone a bit further on what happens if the whole season goes. It's easier with the benefits of hindsight, but it was all very new at the time. It was. And we had no idea... Even at that point, just how serious it was. No. So the rest of Thursday happened. We did these interviews in the TV pen with two metres distance with a very long arm. A telescopic arm. Wish I'd had a telescopic arm. <laughs> like Spectre Gadget. Or a pole, exactly. It got to the end of Thursday. And then the news came out that the four McLaren guys had had to go and go back to the hotel because they were ill. And a couple of Haas guys... Actually, I think we heard that at the beginning of Thursday. Or was it maybe it was Wednesday night that we knew they were ill. Mm-hmm. I think Thursday evening, the tests on the McLaren guys came back with three negative and one positive. And then pretty quickly after that, McLaren withdrew from the event. And we were all in a sort of Asian fusion restaurant. The whole Sky team, we were out for a dinner. And we were in some kind of Asian fusion restaurant downtown Melbourne on Little Bork Street, I'll never forget. And we all got the message through from McLaren at the same time. And within about eight to ten seconds, we were like, oh, wow. And then five, four, three. And then we all realized that this race wouldn't happen. And then about 15 seconds after that, we started to think, 
this is looking dodgy. This could be the whole season. And basically, within about a minute, we'd got to where we are now. The realisation had hit that if this race is off, Bahrain, especially because it was McLaren, who are part-owned by Bahrain, yeah. wouldn't be able to accept a load of people in who might be carrying the virus because they've been with these McLaren team members or whoever. Vietnam, obviously, was still up in the air. And then why would any country invite a load of people who are so obviously high risk into their country? And so it was amazing how quickly, maybe as rapid as the virus itself, the, the realization on that Thursday evening spread through us that this was something that was going to threaten the whole season. Interesting that McLaren made that decision because to act independently if you like a unilateral decision like that is really bold and unusual for formula one yeah how do we know that they wouldn't be able to continue i think ross braun had said about ferrari which was the team that we were most under doubt because at the time italy was the head of everybody else and ferrari even coming out was under doubt but ross braun had said well if one team isn't able to compete i don't think it's fair to run the grand prix just purely on sort of sporting fairness grounds we were trying to rack our heads at the time well this team had turned up but they're pulling out so is that different from not actually being allowed to travel out to the event which was the doubt behind whether ferrari would be able to compete or not maybe this is different you know we've had teams pull out of a weekend when they've had a wing failure or indianapolis 05 when the tires don't work but at least you've had practice and qualifying in those instances it's very difficult to think of a team that's had to pull out for other than you know financial reasons we've had weird teams haven't we pull out because the cash has dried up yeah yeah and so we started to think well if it's this then i don't see how this weekend can go and it was bold by mclaren and mclaren have been pretty bold throughout all of this haven't they just the other day they were the first team to announce that the drivers and the team management have taken a pay cut and they're not going to get paid or whatever the full sum for this year and they've put a lot of the team members on furlough as well they were the first team to come out with it so they've really kind of led the way in that in the sort of serious realization about how big an effect this virus is going to have on formula one you're talking about it affecting mclaren there and how they were one of the first to make the statement but williams too have laid off staff haven't they yeah and reduced the pay of drivers coincidentally aren't both those teams involved in the effort to provide ventilators or hospital equipment yeah so all of the uk based teams so that's called project pit lane isn't it good name (laughs) where they've just said you know look we're going to get together got a lot of rapid prototyping material we've got a lot of engineers sitting around even though they're all on sort of two or three week summer quote august quote shutdowns at the moment what can we do to help and so they all got together on the ventilator effort i think independently mercedes got together through a link up they had with university college london didn't they the ucl cpap machines the cpap machines is that what it was yeah i think there was some confusion a lot of people had heard that there was this project pit lane and then Mercedes announced independently that they were doing this other thing with UCL and UCLH at the hospital on the Euston Road in London for these other machines that aren't ventilators. So, you know, amazing effort from Mercedes to sort of reverse engineer with the engineers from UCL this device and get a lot of them made. But yeah, McLaren and Williams, they're turning all the people who aren't on summer shutdown, quote, summer shutdown at the moment, to start churning out ventilators with as much speed as they can muster and good on them. I'm slightly concerned that anything developed by the Mercedes team in Brackley and Bricksworth 
may get deemed illegal by <laughs> some authority that is acting like the FAA would on them. Oh, no, 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 that would give you a strategic advantage. Uh, oh, actually, I want to talk about that because there you were in Australia. The potential of a new season with new technology on the cars where the whole issue of DAS on the Mercedes was fascinating and that Ferrari, I didn't realise at the time until recently, Ferrari had a similar system on their car called PAS. Is that right? Last year. So Ferrari weren't going to contest the legality of the Mercedes one. Red Bull may have. And that whole thing about the Ferrari engine rumbles on. It's potentially been a political drama right from the word go this season, didn't it? I know. I mean, that was the funny thing. You know, this it seems like all these sort of what now seem rather petty political squabbles only happened three and a half weeks ago. Uh-huh. And it seems like an age away. So we went in on Friday morning after that Thursday evening dinner when we all realized that there's no way there could be a Grand Prix. And I think what was going on was the lawyers got involved and there was liability and insurance issues. And it was just a matter of who was going to cancel it or who the word had to come from had to come from formula one and the fia or did the government effectively need to say this isn't going to happen so it was them who would still pay i think yeah i'm not sure anyway i I imagine it was to do with liability so that's why you still had people even on friday morning saying this event is going ahead because they had to say it was still going ahead depending on who was talking you had other parts of the Melbourne authorities saying it can go ahead behind closed doors, kind of just putting out another question out there, possibility. And then you had some teams saying, we are absolutely not running, like Ferrari, who had told Sebastian Vettel and Alfa Romeo Sauber had told Kimi, we're not running, even if it does go ahead, we're not running. And they'd gone out on the 6am Emirates flight on Friday morning. So they were already gone. Did you see that passenger manifest that was on the internet with their names on? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was brilliant, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. And we were wondering, so we all got that. So that is one of the many brilliant stories, the amazing story. We got that. It was all over the internet, this passenger manifest. And you get so many fake things, don't you? Yeah. You know, someone has just photoshopped a passenger manifest, Vettel, Sebastian, Mr. Emirates gold card, seat 1A. Raikkonen, Kimi Matthias. And that was the other thing. But there were so many things in there that rang true. They got the Kimi Matthias. Did you notice that? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And it was like, it's like, well, that is his name. Yeah. So someone would have had to be really good with the detail of the Photoshop to get his proper full name, Kimi Matthias Raikkonen. You can tell you're a proper journalist. No fake news gets past you, Ted. Well, I, mean, I was I was really impressed. And I thought if this was, and I went through it with Rachel Brooks, who used to work for BA. So she was used to these passenger manifests and she was decoding some of the code. And like, you know, what's that? Oh, that's a gluten-free meal. And that's the gold number. And that J, like the class, that means business class or first class or F, you know. And it all rang true. And we couldn't quite believe that what we were looking at was actual. And the date was right. The flight number was right. Mel to DXB. Yeah. You know, it was all right. It was all right. Yeah. And it seemed to prove, if it was genuine, that Kimmy and Seb had indeed left at 6 a.m. that morning when we all got in at about 8.39, not really knowing whether the practice was going to happen that Ferrari and Alpha's star drivers had already gone. To be fair to Kimmy, he doesn't need much encouragement to clear off and have an no, ice cream. You know, he's he always doesn't. the first out of there. So uh, I know, fair play to so, so that was going around, that they had already gone. And then eventually we got that confirmed by their people that they had actually gone. 
and then I can't remember when it was. I think it was an hour and a half or maybe an hour and three quarters before first practice was about to start mm-hmm. that the official word came through that the event had been cancelled. So ultimately, who made that decision? Was it Chase Carey, Liberty, or was it an agreement with the local government in Melbourne? From memory, I think it had to come from the state health authority who said that they don't think it's a good idea. And then the FIA, who govern the championship and the Formula One, whose championship it is, said, we'll leave it to the Grand Prix Corporation. And jointly, they said, it's best not to. We better not. But you remember about half an hour before that, Mercedes had released a letter saying, we don't want to race. They hadn't pulled out. They'd released a public statement saying, we urge them to call it off. We don't think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I looked into that and I wondered whether Toto Wolff had done that by himself. And Mercedes said that he'd had a discussion with Ola Kalanius, the new top man at Daimler. And they'd kind of agreed that this was the right thing to do. And that's where that letter came from. But it was essentially Toto kind of deciding that as well. Interesting that Mercedes in many ways spoke with one voice there because Lewis, when he was fairly outspoken previously, wasn't censored Mm. by the team in any way. They didn't ask him to rephrase that. They let him be the man he is. He is becoming more confident in himself, don't you think, Lewis? Yeah, he is. He really is. And I asked, were you a bit cross and Lewis said that? And I said, no, no, not at all. You know, he speaks his mind. But Lewis was the only one. It's funny. He was the only one who could have said that to have the cojones to actually stand up and say, as reigning world champion, a six time world champion, he was the only one who could have said that. Maybe Kimmy could have said that. And I think he kind of did. I'm not sure. I can't remember who asked him. And the TV interviews were cancelled. So it wasn't me. Seb was kind of umming and ahhing about it, wasn't he? Yeah. But Lewis was the only one who would think, do you know what, I'm big enough in stature. I don't think he thinks he's as big as the sport itself, but he's got the stature and he's confident enough to be able to call out something that he didn't think was right. But he was really the only one who could have done it. We often compare Lewis to Sterling Moss or Senna, but there's an argument that he could be mentioned in the same breath as Jackie Stewart and Nicky Lauda now, two drivers who in the past have been outspoken and said, no, I don't think we should race for safety grounds. And arguably that's what Lewis was saying here, wasn't it? Definitely. And he's been outspoken about lots of things, about social inequality, about the massive disparity between the billionaires of the F1 paddock and some of the poorer parts of the world we go to, like Brazil, where there are favelas and shanty towns outside the circuit gates, and the lack of diversity in Formula One. You know, it's a white man's sport. He's always said that, yep. and that he wants to see that change. So, yeah, he's really matured nicely into the sort of senior... He won't want to be called the elder statesman of Formula One. I think he's what? Is he the second oldest one in the field now? That seems insane to say that. I think he's the second oldest after Kimmy, yeah. I was talking to my mate Bobby Troman just yesterday about the day that Bobby phoned me. He worked as a manager at a kart track and he said, you've got to watch this lad, Lewis Hamilton. He's coming. And he was only in karting then. This is before he was in Formula Renault or European Formula 3. And he said, this guy's going to take Formula One. And that seems like yesterday, and now he's the second elder statesman in Formula One. That's terrifying. I know, Ted. I know. Terrifying for us. Uh, listen, can I ask you about your situation? So when the race was wound up, what did Sky's management say to you? At which point did you find out that you're technically... Are you in furlough, technically? Or what's your position, can I ask? No, we're still working. The reason we were going in on that Friday morning 
was because if there was practice, we were going to put a show on. And even if there wasn't practice, we were going to put a show on because TV still happens. It's one of the things that's still happening, isn't it? As we all sit at home. So we did put a show on. Some of us came in, picked up our stuff, picked up a couple of cameras and some lights and sound equipment. Then we went back. There was a terrace outside our hotel, just the other side of Albert Park. And Simon presented a show from there. I stayed outside the paddock. They were packing up the paddock and there was a sort of policy decision that media kind of shouldn't go back into the paddock and start sniffing around. Yeah. I think that was probably sensible. We didn't really need to be there. We would have just been sort of intruding. Oh, look, there's McLaren, you know, have any of the mechanics got it? It would have been unseemly and unnecessary, I think. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Simon did a bit with Martin Brundle and Jensen and Craig Slater from Sky Sports News. He did a bit and then he crossed over to me. I did a little bit outside the paddock, just explain what was going on, explain what happened in the last few hours, discussions amongst the teams, which ones had wanted to race, which were the two Red Bull teams, Racing Point and Mercedes-ish before they decided not to. They were the ones who really wanted to race. Everyone else said, no, we're not racing or we we don't want to race. And how the discussions had happened and then eventually how it got called off. And then there was the press conference with Chase Carey and Andrew Westacott and his boss from the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. That sort of, well, was it awkward? It wasn't awkward, actually. It's pretty well handled, that, that press conference outside the paddock. Now, Chase Carey had only just arrived. Yep. He'd been on a flight from, was it Vietnam? From Vietnam. Yeah. 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 He'd been discussing about whether they were going to have to postpone their Grand Prix and then come straight into the maelstrom of the possible postponement or cancellation, as it turned out to be, of the Australian Grand Prix. So yep. he was there. You know, I'll never forget what he was wearing. He was wearing a nice, sort of light blue shirt, classic cream chinos. And some really chunky trainers. <laughs> <laughs> some like comfortable plain shoes. He got out of his big Mercedes, walked straight past me. And I noticed these big chunky trainers, these sort of white and blue trainers. I thought, oh, comfortable for a plane, you know, lovely. Fresh out of first class. Yeah. So he then had to stand up and they all had to do a press conference about how this all happened, why they made the late decision. There was anger, actually, from some of the journalists saying, very much sort of Captain Hindsight, saying, well, you should have seen this coming. Why on earth did we all come out here? Why on earth are we doing this? They said, standing there, they all kind of got on planes themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was a little bit... Self-righteous. Yeah, I mean, it's easy at the point at which it had all flared up to say, oh, well, we should never have come. Yeah. But we all made the decision to come. We could not have. We could have said we don't fancy it, actually, if we'd thought it was the wrong thing to do or didn't think that it was going to end well or didn't want to be one of people spreading the problem. I mean, as it turned out, with the teams doing the two-meter distancing, it wasn't the journalists they had to worry about. It was their own team members who had the virus. Yeah, yeah. That two-meter distance from the dirty journalists who were going to give them all the lurgy. It wasn't the journos in the end. But no, that's what happened. So we did that show. can't remember how long it was, 45 minutes to an hour or something like that. And then we all stayed on for a bit, see if we could do any more updates. Then we all started to fly home and we all got back saturday sunday monday type thing so vettel and kimmy beat us home very much very <laughs> of course they were home by friday afternoon and then we've been on since so every day we do an at home with sky f1 so i did mine it was my turn last week so we do a little bit we record links in our homes and we send them to our people who edit them at their homes and then we edit in some features that we're linking to or a race or whatever and so yeah so we carry on 
We're doing a series at home with Sky F1. And then every other day, there's a vlog. There's a like a podcast. A podcast on TV. TV program. What do you call it? A vodcast. A vodcast, otherwise known as a TV program. Yeah. And Simon hosts that from his office. And today we had Ben Stokes, the England cricketer, and Alex Alban on, talking about them doing their virtual racing, sim racing yesterday. I'm on on Wednesday. Ted, I'm astonished to hear this because I'm embarrassed to say, as someone who's a proud Sky Sports F1 contract payer, when the race was cancelled and it looked like the next couple of races were also going to be cancelled, first thing I did was suspend my contract. (laughs) So I'm blissfully, sorry, blissfully is the wrong word, but utterly unaware of all this at the moment no no it's free it's online it's free online oh right so it's not on sky sports f1 it's elsewhere is it no no it'll be put on sky sports f1 as well right but online and it's free i'm gonna have to look into that my apologies go and have a look yeah skysports.com slash f1 and then we're all on there all of our at home with sky f1 so we all chose some features i chose eye tracking feature i chose a day when i was britta sebastian vettel's pa yeah. in singapore i chose a thing where i did about the power of music for drivers about how it affects their performance or not and what was the last one i did oh going into the ice bath with valtteri bottas with my shirt off i remember that well terrifying vision they were my features yes um, sorry go on i look forward to seeing those listen let's just take a short break a minor refreshment and we'll return to talk about where f1 is at right now the only good thing I can think that has come out of the lockdown is the fact that the lack of traffic in London means the air quality in the city where I live is vastly improved. Which is why I'm going to play you this song. This is Nevermind the Particulates from the Sex Pissed Holes. Yeah, 
This is Gareth Jones on Speed Online with me from just down the road in Islington. Ted Kravitz, a man who was right there at the sharp end of Formula One as it collapsed in on itself thanks to the coronavirus outbreak recently. And the results of the outbreak are playing out almost on a daily basis, aren't they, Ted? We've mentioned already how McLaren and Williams have laid off staff. Ferrari shut their factory down, their road car factory and their race factory, didn't they, completely a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, it really is into shutdown survival mode. You know, all the teams, it's a matter of survival for them now because with all of their revenue streams cut off and the prospect of maybe having to pay some money back to sponsors or sponsors not giving the money at all, they're all having to draw on their savings. And because they plan to have all this money coming in, that's the business model, turn up to a race, you get paid, then that's really difficult for them. I mean, the only manufacturer-backed ones, it's only Renault and Ferrari and Mercedes, isn't yep. it? Yeah, yeah. Who are the proper manufacturers. And Renault aren't full of cash, really, are they? No, no. And they're not selling any cars as well. So it really is crisis to rival the global financial crisis of 2008, yeah. which saw Toyota and BMW leave the sport. Yeah. And arguably, this is much bigger because you've got the teams that are supported by billionaires, of which there are six of them, you know, they're also in trouble because they've got to lean very heavily on those billionaire owners. So that's the two Red Bull teams, Haas, Gene Haas, billionaire, Racing Point, and... Williams? No, McLaren. Yeah. You could argue that the Bahraini owners aren't short of a bob or two. And Alfa Romeo Sauber. Yeah who's backed by the rousing, the juice carton magnate. Yep. Finn rousing. Tetra Pak, isn't it? Tetra Pak, that's yeah. it, Tetra Pak. So, yeah, you've got six teams. Funnily enough, you know, you've got the privateers who might be okay if they take measures now not to lose too much money and they're backed up with those, you know, rich benefactors. They might be the ones who survive out of this. Of course, Ferrari will survive. They never not survive. And maybe you're looking at Renault and Mercedes from the manufacturers, who when we come out of this, if the manufacturers are feeling that they need to save some money, maybe they're the ones who are looking dodgy, just like BMW and Toyota were in 2008. So it's a really such a difficult time for all of them for so many different reasons. Historically, manufacturers do come and go depending on their whims and on the state of the road car market. Yeah. It hadn't occurred to me that that was the jeopardy here. I was thinking that it was Williams that were in the biggest risky position or perhaps racing point and certainly Haas because Gene Haas has talked about quitting Formula One in a year or two if things don't improve anyway. Mm. Was it Zach Brown said that Formula One is in danger of losing four teams didn't he yeah and that's what i mean i mean you could look at it either way you know who are the four teams that zach is talking about i mean gene Haas might be well advised to just hang in there he's got enough money in the bank from his cnc machining companies to keep the team ticking over i mean they're not spending anything but they're not earning anything at the moment even if they furlough stuff at least they can sort of keep the wage bill down as much as they can but Haas f1 don't actually employ that many people yeah they're a virtual team aren't they they're a virtual team. It's only about 200 people. Whereas a smallish team like Racing Point is, what, 450? But Mercedes, it's 1,000 people between the engine side and race team side. McLaren, maybe 650, something like that. 
So, you know, they do have to have those ongoing costs and they need to keep those people either furloughed or employed more or less because when they do go racing eventually towards the end of the year or next year, then they need to have some people to go racing with. But yeah, it's just a matter of survival. And they actually had a meeting on Monday of this week. They had a big meeting that we're still sort of waiting to see what the results are for. And that's probably going to be a lessening of the budget cap. So common sense has broken out amongst all these teams. Very unusual. <laughs> Very unusual, yeah. Normally they can't agree on what kind of biscuits to serve at the meetings, but um, <laughs> it looks like they're going to agree on keeping this year's cars for next year and maybe the year after, into 2022, thinking about the new cars, which will cost a lot to develop only for 2023, and then bringing the budget cap in almost immediately and trying to cap costs at 125 million or 100 million. Now, that sounds like a load of money. Well, it doesn't sound like a load of money. It is a load of money. And the big teams have been saying, well, look, if you cap us at 100 million, we're going to have to lay off a lot of people. But the small teams are saying, well, if we carry on like this, we're going to have to close down and then you'll lay off more people. So it's the lesser evil just to sort of put the very stringent budget cap in. So there's the discussions that are happening at the moment. What's your best guess on when the season could start or is it impossible to say at the moment. I'm an evidence-based kind of guy, you know, a detailed analytic, won't surprise you to. I mean, how long did it take China? China seemed to be turning a corner now, don't they? And yeah. that was December, January? Yeah, December and January that kicked off there. Yeah, and we're now April. So, yeah, January, February, March, April. Let's call it a generous four months. Yeah. And we started this in mid-March, late March. So that's April, May, June, July. August, people start to get things going again. Flights start happening. And so, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to think that in September, major sporting events will start to happen. Maybe before that, you could have them behind closed doors, because will people want to abandon the social distancing thing so soon? I don't know. There's going to be a nervousness, isn't there? There will, not, won't there? Not only will governments not want to relax social distancing, I think human nature yeah. means that yeah. we won't want to go and stand in a packed grandstand with people, will we? No, because the moment the geezer next to you starts coughing or sneezing, you know, you'll think, oh, you know, I've done so well, I've avoided it up to this point, and then I get it sitting in a grandstand at Spa-Francorchamps, you know, I don't yeah. want to do this. So maybe if there'll be some Grand Prix that can afford to have it behind closed doors without the money from the spectators and that would be the likes of Bahrain Azerbaijan so generally races without spectators anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah. and yeah state-backed Grand Prix that don't need the income of the paying punters I mean Silverstone have said we're available for anything that Formula One wants to do crowd or no crowd but they'd have to be paid to do that rather than Silverstone pay Formula One yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. To do that, which would be difficult. So best guess, I would imagine optimistically September, but also I can see, you know, Jan Lammers yes. is in charge of Zandvoort now. Yeah. And he did a brilliant interview a few weeks ago where he said, look, you know, people need to be able to come and have fun at a Grand Prix and have a few beers or whatever and have a fun. And if they can't do that or don't feel like doing that, then there's no point holding it. And he seemed to think that his revitalized Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort, the big return, would probably happen next year as part of maybe a sort of super season. And realistically, my instincts would be that it'll be a super season over, what, 
five or six this year and then go into 20 next year that would be my guess that was my next question what do you think if we do start late are we going to see a season that starts probably october to be absolutely certain and then we can only race in parts of the world where the weather is reasonably dry at that time of the year so we probably won't see a british grand prix at all until july of next year and i know there were plans to run Two race weekends to run. There was an idea to race at Silverstone in one direction, then the other direction on the next day. Is yeah. I mean, you'd have to relicense all the tracks to do that because they're not licensed from a safety point of view to run backwards, are they? No, exactly. You can't do that because the gravel traps are worked out as to the direction of the cars are going in. Yeah. It would be horrendous from a safety point of view. No, I think what they were thinking about was doing either two races, two British Grand Prix, in the hope that you can have eight races, which is what the rules say you need to have a championship, two British Grand Prix, I don't know, or call the second one you know, I don't know, the Austrian Grand Prix under license from the Red Bull ring. Yeah, yeah. And just brand it Red Bull or whatever you call the second one. But that would be a bit odd. And that eight race thing, I'm not sure. If you won the championship and it was just an eight racer, you'd kind of think, oh, well, you know, that was a bit... I don't know. If you won the championship... You wouldn't have a problem with well, it. Well, I don't know. In the past, the World Championships were just eight races at the dawn of Formula One, weren't they? Yeah, I don't know. What would you think if you... I think you'd think, well, I wasn't really tested, you know, had a few good Grand Prix and then it was all over. I don't know. I think it's an even playing field. You know, if you're the only one in eight races and the other teams are in 16 races, it's unfair. But if you're all racing in just eight races, you have to shine in that limited opportunity that you have. It would change the engines. I mean, the engines could be pushed a little harder or they could change the penalties on the engines because engines are now designed to last technically half a season, aren't they? Or power units, forgive me, or gearboxes. So I don't know. They'd have to change the sporting regulations, wouldn't they, if there was just an eight-race calendar and uh, apply a percentage so if you're only allowed four engines across 20 races you'd only be allowed two engines across eight races something like that they would and they all need to sort this thing out not only you know you were talking earlier about the mercedes dual axis steering what i like to call the trombone steering <laughs> yes. <I imagine laughs> someone should dub a trombone sound effect to the driver <laughs> George Chisholm I haven't done that yet yeah I'll get around to it Mercedes are looking pretty good and if they do ban aerodynamic development like they're saying they will now to keep the cost down yeah because they don't want people using this time to pay their engineers to go crazy on aerodynamic development well that kind of locks in whoever's got an advantage now so if Mercedes were looking pretty good I think we can agree that from pre-season testing they were looking pretty handy You know, they'd love an eight-race championship because it locks in their advantage with that freeze on aerodynamic development. If Ferrari were going to, say, for example, go to their sort of thin pencil nose solution that Ferrari don't have, they've got that fat nose at the moment, haven't they? Yeah. And Mercedes have got that pencil nose. But Ferrari wouldn't be able to do that because there's been this freeze on aerodynamic development. So from that point of view, I just felt that it was kind of better to have a big super season rather than just an eight racer what do you think i think a super season would have to be a super duper season i think it would have to start in october and finish the following october that's the only way to guarantee the required amount of airtime that the sponsors require for the agreed amount that they're prepared to pay the teams. Yeah. If they're saying, well, we will give you 20 million for 20 races, 
they're going to need 20 races because the cost when the teams go racing has not come down. That remains the same. So they're going to need to recover any of those costs from the sponsors. It's entirely possible, like you said, that the races won't have spectators. So, you know, there's not going to be money from the gate there mm. so i think we're forced into a super season i can't see an eight race season i think it has to be a super season purely from a survival point of view yep very sensible very likely i think and also if we can make them on consecutive weekends and just do a two-day weekend yeah i think a lot of people would buy that that's a pretty sensible thing as well because we've had this before when friday has been rained out or there's been a typhoon hagibis in japan and we're not allowed to go in on saturday and we have to have qualifying on sunday morning you know it works and it throws another little double six into it yeah and that's something that's very likely to happen whether it's the end of this year or next that to cram these races in never mind triple headers they'll probably be quadruple headers to allow the teams to get to these places to pack everything up to unpack them to clear customs and all of that you're going to need to only have running on two days and to allow people maybe to go home you know and just to i don't know wash their kecks really you know and buy in their shirts probably could just have two day events and as long as that's all right from the circuit's point of view of getting people in and hospitality and all of that then i don't think that's a bad thing what would bernie have done do you think i think he's got other things to worry about now hasn't he (laughs) good old bernie can we just say yeah how lovely as my old grandmother would say mazel tov (laughs) a father again at 89 in the summer and a boy we're led to believe oh well apparently that's not unusual with older fathers is it that sperm from older men are more likely (laughs) to produce boys apparently yeah yeah really Oh, my goodness. So all the girls in your house, you must have very young sperm, Ted. (laughs) What a legend Bernie is. So good for him. That's lovely. What would Bernie have done, though, do you think? He'd be quite ruthless, wouldn't he? What would he have done? I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I go back to the McLaren team members test. And I think he would have had a word and said, Here, Zach. Here, Andreas. Come here. What's going on? Oh, well, you know, we've got this guy, Bernie, you know, he's not very well. You know, a few of them having the tests, you know. All right. Just let me know what happens. You know, don't tell anyone. All right. You know, yeah. I think the test result would have come out on the Sunday night or the Monday morning. <laughs> That's only a guess. But I'm not sure. Because all the people who wanted to run, you know, Christian Horner was saying, it's one mechanic. What's the problem? You know, a mechanic could have gone out and had too much to drink and be under the weather and not turn up it's not going to affect the running of the team they missed the points haven't they you know what i mean he's missed the point exactly but they were very much on that friday morning saying it's only one mechanic what's the problem let's race all the rest of us are okay drivers are okay all the rest of the mechanics are okay i mean as it was there was someone from pirelli and who knows however many people yeah had it and we don't know about it wasn't helmut marco keen on creating a sort of coronavirus camp where he allowed all his team (laughs) to become infected so that they didn't get infected later on i mean that's nuts yeah Yeah, it was nuts yeah red bull were very quick to say that that was one of helmut's little jokes but certainly there was a lot of thought going around. You know, they asked talking to some engineers on the plane coming out and they were saying, look, it's better to be an early adopter with this kind of thing, you know, before the hospitals fill up. And there were people thinking, I wonder if I can go and get coughed on by somebody. But, uh, <laughs> before people really knew, you know, how nasty this thing is, those were the sort of jokes going around. I think that's what Marco was talking about. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe Bernie wouldn't have turned up in the first place. Maybe he could have seen this coming. But I do reflect 
on had it not been for that one McLaren guy and then the Pirelli guy, would Australia would have happened? Yes, it probably would have. Uh-huh. And then if that had happened, would Bahrain have happened? I think it would have. And then Vietnam would probably by now still have been postponed because the rest of Europe was in big trouble. But at least we would have had two proper Grand Prix by now. And I think Bernie would have probably made sure that would have happened. But that's only a guess. I'm also wondering what decisions Ron Dennis would have made if he was still in charge at McLaren. A very pragmatic man. But he has been making moves with the Ron Dennis Foundation. And I discovered today because his daughter, Dr. Charlotte Hall is an anaesthetist, which is why Ron, I can call him Ron, was driven to mobilise the power of his foundation and the money of his foundation to organise Yodel and Tesco and some other players to start providing something like 10,000 meals a day for NHS workers. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, good old Ron Dennis. I've been wondering what he's been up to. He's been a bit quiet, hasn't he? I didn't know that uh, Ron Dennis Foundation existed. Nor me. I like the way he's chosen Yo Dell. Because wasn't it Ron Dell Racing was his first... Oh, yeah. It was, wasn't it? Ron Dell. Yeah. Yo yeah. Dell. <laughs> Dell Dennis. But how fantastic is that? You know, that he's got companies he knows. I mean, I don't know whether there was a Tesco link up, but Tesco supplying the food to Absolute Taste. Absolute Taste were, for a long time, a McLaren Group company. I think they've been bought by someone else now. Ah. Maybe there's still a McLaren Group interest in there. But it was started by Lindy Redding, who used to just do the catering at McLaren Honda and then McLaren Mercedes. She's married to Dave Redding, who's the Williams sporting manager. Absolute Taste have done the food at McLaren since always. And they're a great company of great people. And Ron has persuaded Tesco to either donate or he's buying the food from them, gives it to Absolute Taste, who haven't got any events to cater at the moment anyway. And so they've got chefs available to do it and know how they can churn out food that's easily transportable and keeps fresh to get it where it needs to be. And Ron's been the perfect person to put this stuff together using his connections. He got his Rolodex out. Did you hear that? Yes. Good morning, Britain, this morning. It's very old school. Yeah, it's good. And I bet all these food packages are beautifully uniform, immaculately clean, and probably grey, white, and red, aren't they? Hey, listen, if I know absolute taste, they'll be delicious as well. They do an ace Caesar salad. They do a great heritage tomato salad. And um, what else do they do? Salmon, beef. Oh, the brownies. I forgot the McLaren brownies. Oh, my goodness. The best brownie recipe you've ever, ever had. And I tried to get them to give me the recipe. (laughs) This was last year or the year before. And Lindy said, look, it is a bit of a trade secret. Gosh. So we're not going to give you this recipe. We'll give you another one, which they gave me, which was for pumpkin recipes. It was a Halloween thing. But the McLaren brownies, I mean, that will be the best treat of all to the stars in the NHS if they can do that. But good old Ron Dennis, great stuff. I've got to ask you, what is it, Ted, that you miss most about not being out there every other weekend or in the other parts of the world? Apart from just walking around and exercise, I don't know, it's taken a bit of getting used to this home stuff because I've been doing this 21 years, 22 years now. 97 was my first year. So this was my 23rd year, right? Yeah. So my brain and my body are in a sort of rhythm. I've had winter. I'm ready to get going again. Yeah. And it's March and it's April. And my biorhythm tells me that I should be in Vietnam last weekend. I should be at home this week and then I should be going to another Grand Prix next week. And I'm not. And it's taken a bit of getting used to that. But what do I miss? I don't know. I think a bit of competition, a 
bit of levity. I think we're all missing that, aren't we? We're missing a bit of levity. It's easy to get involved in all of the news and following the news, but that gets a bit depressing after a while. And you get anxious. I had a really anxious day about a week and a half ago where I was sort of terrified about actually having it and whether I'd infect my wife and my kids. And then you sort of want to stay home, which you are doing anyway. But it's all right. I mean, you don't know, do you? Going out for a bit of exercise or going to get food, you don't know whether you're taking your chances into your hands when you're doing that. I miss that carefree life that maybe we didn't appreciate while we had it. Yeah, I would agree that this lockdown has taught us the value of liberty. But I think the important thing to remember, Ted, you know, if you feel that you're stuck at home, is to reinterpret that as you're safe at home and nothing bad's going to happen here. So flip it on its head. When you're at home, you're in control of your environment. Even when you're out on the streets to a lesser degree, you're still in control. You're safe, Ted. It's okay. And it's all right to have anxiety. I think we're all suffering from waves of that here and then. And that Formula One, why is it we turn to Formula One? It's the opposite of our daily drudge, isn't it? We can lose ourselves in something which is important to us, but in the grand scheme of the universe, is completely unimportant. Yes. Which is why it's so brilliant. You know? Imagine caring that much about something that isn't that important as you and I and everyone listening to this programme does. Listen, can I ask you briefly before we finish, have you been following the virtual Grand Prix that have been going on? I have, sort of. They happen at story time for the kids. They've been going off at sort of 8pm, which is sort of prime story time for my three girls. So I've taped them and I've been watching them back. I'm slightly confused. There seem to be about three or four series going on at the same time. There's one that's endorsed by Formula One. There's some that are run by other entities. And the other ones have a shot of the driver picture in picture, don't they? Yeah. Which I think the Formula One one doesn't at the moment. Or maybe you need to go online and see the guy's faces. I mean, Charles Leclerc won earlier this week. That's right. And I would have liked to see him... I think they all have cameras looking at them, don't they? And not that I saw on the coverage of that particular right. race. Okay, yeah. You only see the POV shot and the wide angle of yeah. the cars racing. Yeah, so I'd like to see their faces. I want to see Ben Stokes sitting there, or Alex Albon, or yeah. Johnny Herbert, or Anthony Davidson, or Nicholas Latifi sitting there, you know, with the looks on their faces. But yeah, I'll, I'll be watching it. Good point. We need to see the human elements. Mm. But do you know what I want to see in those virtual races? Your virtual notebook. <laughs> right well they're amazing how they replicate the cars and there's a heat haze coming out the back of the exhausts and there's dust being kicked up but when it gets to people they slightly struggle don't they yeah i don't know maybe they can do a sort of slightly lardy guy in a pair of shorts and some sandals <laughs> but um yeah but uh, they haven't done the pit lane i'm not sure they've modeled the pit lane when they come into the pits it doesn't show it we don't see pit stops no because the races you run to the half or quarter length invariably actually i have to say ted it was zog that asked me to ask you how you would improve the virtual races and you told me seeing the drivers in their seats at home and it was his suggestion that you do a notebook for the virtual races which i'd pay good money to see all right good odds zog i'll I'll try i'll have a go and if i had some money ted i'd pay you for taking part in this program thank (laughs) you so much for giving up your time to join us on the show really appreciate it no problem nice to speak to you one very final thing i know that you're an aviation nut like me you like aircraft yeah have you noticed there's nothing over the skies of london at the moment i know it's amazing did you see the calibrator up the other day or the guy doing the mapping so you're having all of these things like it's a gift for the guy who has to do the updated satellite pictures for google earth they can go up there go all the way over london 
do all the updated pictures for Google Earth with no pesky other planes getting in the way. It's great. It's good stuff. When you hear that plane going over, I'm saying this to everyone as well as you, go into your garden and moon it. Let's have a billion (laughs) bums on Google Earth. Ted, thank you so much for joining us. That's it for Gareth Jones on Speed. It's goodbye from Ted. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed! Speed!